So we're gonna go ahead, get started. Now we're in uh, we're in John, the book of John, the fourth gospel. So right after Luke and in between Acts. <clears throat> and so last week I said that I had ambitions last week of getting all the way through the first 18 verses and it didn't work out. Uh, partly because the first five verses are extremely important theologically, right? So that's why we had to go a little more in depth with everything. But now we're John is picking up the pace a little bit, and so really, if you if you take the first eighteen verses in some sense, it's sort of a two pyramids, uh, one on top of another, kind of upside down with the points pointing together as far as structure. So some of this is I don't want to say repetition, but it's repeated so you can understand it and kind of reword things so we can understand exactly what John is talking about. And now he's going to be bringing in John the Baptist as well, because John the Baptist is extremely important, and we're going to talk more about him next week as we get in, in through to verse 19, starting next week. But he kind of introduces him in the prologue right now, because John the Baptist is extremely important to Jesus' ministry, theologically, because it was foretold and, and, and ordained that that this forerunner would come and tell about the, and he would witness for the Messiah. We'll get to it in a few minutes, but also because he is an important figure in the church, because he really is the last Old Testament prophet. Right? So John the Baptist is really, even though this is in what we consider the New Testament, John the Baptist is really the last Old Testament prophet of the Messiah. Right? And so he is the one that garners some attention. But so I titled this sermon, though, is, is Who Did You Come to See, right? Because John is really introducing Jesus to the world and telling people who he is. So, and as we go through and see about Jesus, there's all kinds of people who come to see him, but everybody kind of comes for their own reason sometimes. Sometimes they just want to be healed. They just want to see if he's real or not, things like that, right? So when you go to concerts, it's customary to have a warm-up band, right? If you, if you know, if you've been to concerts. So before the main act, right? So usually you buy the ticket because the person you want to see is playing, and you just have to endure the hour, roughly, usually, of the warm-up band. So my parents were pretty cool. So my mom and stepdad took me to my first concert when I was, like, 14. It was uh, the 1990 Rush Presto Tour. You know, I'm, I'm a huge Rush fan, so it's a huge thing. So the opening act was Mr. Big. Never heard of Mr. Big. I didn't even know. I think at the time we didn't even know who the, what the opening band was when we went. They just said, hey, this is opening Mr. Big. Yeah. So we're just cheering because everybody else was cheering. We didn't care. It was good. They were good music. Uh, lots of energy. And, and they made it big a few years later. Like after that, they kind of made it bigger. But we were there to see Rush. We wanted to see that band because that's who we paid money to. To see. That was the main attraction. And you know, they were my favorite band ever. And so those were the people that we paid however much money we paid for the tickets for. And that's really what people were doing. Like, oh yeah, I'll just kind of deal with this person. This other band. And that's really what we have here with, with John the Baptist. Is, is he's the precursor. Now people, he had his own fans, right? Mr. Big, like I said, they made it bigger. They, they, they got fans. They made several albums, things like that. But they're nowhere near as big as Rush. And so the thing is that John the Baptist does the same thing. He plays a part. He got people to the concert. He got people to there. But really, we're here to see Jesus. We're here to talk about Jesus. And so John is bringing this in. So he's, he's giving John the Baptist time on the stage. But he's also moving along kind of quickly to say, look, 
Even John the Baptist knows that he's the opening act to the main show, the main person that we need to be here to see, and that's Jesus. So as we go through John's gospel here today, we're going to read this. We're going to read all from verse 6 to 18, so we'll read all the 12 or 13 verses just so we hear it all, we hear the word, because the reading of the word is important as we gather together, and then we will go through and explain with the two points I have on your outlines. So John says in verse 6, this is John chapter 1, verse 6, he says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Verse 10, he was in the world, and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. Now here he's talking about Jesus. I want to make sure that he, John has shifted. So he, so Jesus came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. Verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And John testified concerning him and exclaimed, this was the one of whom I said the coming after me, the one coming after me ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the one and only son who is himself God and is at the father's side. He has revealed him. All right, so we kind of have some of the same theology of the first five verses here where Jesus is God, the Word became flesh, Jesus is the Word, the Word was with God, the Word is God. Right, we have all those kind of wrapped up in all those, in all the 18 verses. But here is the main point for the sermon today that we can take out of here. Jesus came to earth in order to bring his people to him. So as his people, we are to point others to Jesus. Right? Jesus is the one we came to see. And Jesus is the one that they should be coming to see. So we, I broke this up into two sections. So verses 6 through 9 is one. And then verses 10 through 18 is the rest of it. And so we're going to look at the, the, of John first. The warm-up act is what I called him. So John the Baptist. And he jumps right in. John, John the Apostle jumps right in to talk about John the Baptist. And he gives us important details to this person, this, this witness. He was a man sent from God. He didn't just say, hey, this is the best man ever. I want to tell everybody about him. God said, you will go tell these people about him. Right? John had a specific mission. His mission, the one purpose, was to testify about the light. Right, the coming Messiah. And so he's talking about John the Baptist. We know he's talking about John the Baptist because this John is the only John ever mentioned in the book. And so we know that he's not talking about himself here when he names John, but he's talking about John the Baptist. Now, John was a common name, so you can say, why were so many people named John? It was a pretty common name in, in, Hellenistic, in the Hellenistic world, the Palestinian world at that point, so... You know, if you've ever done your family tree, a lot of times you start getting back to there. You may have 
14 people with the same name, just about. And so you're like, well, which one is that? And you hope you get the dates right, right? So, so there's, there's only so many names to go around, and then people like them, so they gravitate towards that. So later when we get down to verse 19, like I said, John is going to give us more insight about John the Baptist and his ministry, as we call him. But verse 8, or verse eight John, the gospel writer, makes another interesting comment that John the Baptist is not the light. He wants to make very clear to everybody that John is not the Messiah. So why does he make this statement? So there's a couple reasons. He'd just be maybe clarifying and just say, look, one guy, second guy. Or it may be the fact that there were people still when John was writing this that were worshiping John the Baptist either on an equal level or, or maybe more so than they were worshiping Jesus. Or perhaps they were confusing the two and saying, well... He must have been the same guy, even though it'd be pretty impossible for John the Baptist to baptize Jesus and that being the same person, right? But most likely what they think is that there were people who were really worshiping John. And we see through the Gospels that there, John the Baptist had his own followers, even the time when, when everything was going on. So he probably still had people who wanted to worship him instead of Jesus. But he wants to make sure that we all know and understand exactly who John is and exactly who Jesus is. Right? Because this is, again, he's pointing people to Jesus. And so John the Baptist is the one pointing people to the light. And that Jesus is the light. Because in verse 5, it talks about that the light shines in the darkness. And yet the darkness did not overcome it. Right? He, so John has already mentioned Jesus was the light. And here he's talking about John is carrying, John is essentially carrying the flashlight. And he's pointing people say, look, don't follow me, follow Jesus. Right? And so here's our application of this part, is that in similar fashion, God has sent each of us as witnesses into the world to point people to the light, just as someone else pointed us to the light. So what I'm not saying here is that we are John the Baptist. I want to make sure we're clear on that, right? None of us are John the Baptist. He had a very specific mission for that. But we are like him, and we can do the same thing. We're all here. We're all charged to go make disciples. That is what we're here for. So in some sense, we are acting just like John the Baptist, where we are pointing people to Jesus. So this is what we do. This is what I believe as a Christian. This is why I act a certain way. This is why I believe what I believe. And so the other thing I want to make sure that we understand is that, that the work of our witnessing is done mostly by the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit pushes us wherever he wants us to go to talk to whomever he wants to talk to at the time about Jesus when the time is right for him. Even though maybe not time right, the time is right for us, like I'm standing in the cashier line trying to buy my groceries, is this really the right time for me to talk about Jesus to the cashier? If the Holy Spirit says it is, then it is, right? So I want to make sure that we are bolstered and we are lifted up by the Holy Spirit and we're compelled to do these things and we're led by him as we have these conversations. But we still need to know what we're talking about. The Holy Spirit will tell you the right things to say, but at the same time, we need to know on, on a human level also what things are like. Because just like John the Baptist's purpose, we want everybody to believe. God wishes, God desires everybody to be saved. We should have the same desire. And that should push us to go evangelize and talk to people all the time. And I'm not saying you have to be that obnoxious person, but 
everything you do should be centered around Jesus and what it is, who he is, what he's done for your life. We should want people to have the same life-changing, life-saving interaction with Jesus that we did. We all have our own conversion story if you're saved. So that should be like, you shouldn't want to keep that in the dark. You should be like, look, I used to do this and now I do that. Why? Because he saved me. I am God's child. I am different now. And I want you to have the same joy and happiness. Just like the song was saying when we came in, there should be joy. We should have joy in our lives for this. We should be excited about it. We should want to tell people, all the Christians who walk through this humdrum life, or you hear them, they complain all the time. They need to get right with God. Because he's given you things, either trials or experiences or whatever, to bring you closer to him, to show you that he's the one you need. And you shouldn't want for anything more than what he's given you. And it doesn't mean you should be happy with being dirt poor, because he may be giving you different opportunities to get you out of that. But at the same time, you should be thankful that what he, what you have what you have. And the other thing is that we have to understand that we are not the light. We are not Jesus. So we are not perfect. We will never be, we're already perfected. I want to make sure we're clear on that. We are perfected because of what Jesus did on the cross. We are not perfect. We are still learning how to be Christ-like from the time we got saved to the time we die, right? That's our sanctification process. We're being made holy in a sense when we're already, we're already holy in one respect. We're being made holy while we live this, on this earth. And until we're glorified, until we pass away and pass on into heaven, we are not going to be perfect, perfect. So we have to have grace for ourselves, grace on others, and hopefully, we most likely have to explain to the, to the non-believers that we do not think we're Jesus. We do not think we're perfect. We know we're not perfect. We are still going to make mistakes. It doesn't excuse us. I want to make sure we're always clear on that. It doesn't excuse us for what we do when we make mistakes. But we know that we're forgiven and we don't have to beat ourselves up about it too much. But we need to repent. But what we are are the light bringers. We are the ones carrying the flashlight, pointing them to Jesus with the light. And so this is why we're doing the apologetic stuff. This is why we're going through this gospel. It's so we can perform well enough as the warm-up band that people, when we point people to the one and only Jesus Christ. Because he is the one who died for our sins. He is the one who paid for us. And he enables us to go before God without shame. Right? We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be, because oh, I'm not good enough. His sinlessness and his blood covers our sins and we are forgiven. And so, in order for Jesus to do this, in order for him to be this sacrifice for us, he has to come to earth. Before he can be put on a cross and in a tomb, he has to come to earth. And so John tells us in verse 10, he says, He was in the world and the world was recreated through him and yet the, the world did not recognize him. Right? And verse 14 is similar where the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Right? So he's kind of repeating it, but he's making his point that Jesus lived on earth and he was human. And so Jesus came, comes to the world. And so this is essentially John's nativity story. 
And so John doesn't spend time rehashing Matthew, Mark's gospel, or Matthew or Luke's gospel. And Patrick and I were talking on the, on the way here that really John was written, you know, probably 85 to 95 AD. So probably a good 30, 25 to 30 years after Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So if you're a Christian, you've already heard all these stories. So he doesn't need to repeat all these things because then he would just be a cover band. He would just be copying everything they already did. So he's coming at it at a different angle, but he's also using language to make the people make those connections. Because then you say, oh, he did come in the world. He was born in a manger in Bethlehem. You know, this night, all these things happened. So you trigger your mind, that he's triggering people's minds most likely to go, oh, okay, I know that story. But he's also going up a level and saying, well, here's the bigger theological aspects of everything. Right? We have all the details, but he is making the point that Jesus came, this is the theological part, he came from the heavenly realm to the earthly realm. Right? He stepped out of heaven into our realm, into our timeline to do this. And so just like the nativity story, just like John says that he came to his own, but his own people didn't receive him. And we see that, again, with the nativity story. The wise men traveled all the way from Iran, you know, Persia, all the way over to, to Galilee and Nazareth to see the newborn king. They told Herod, and what does Herod want to do? Kill him. So what's he do? He kills all the kids under two years old because he didn't receive him. He did not receive the glory of the newborn king. He wanted to kill him because he was jealous and said, I'm the king. And we see going through the gospels we go through, and we've already read the other gospels before if you've read them. Right? We know that Jesus gets pushback usually from the Pharisees, the religious people, in a sense, but other people as well that don't want to believe who he is. He has pushback through his ministry. And so... As we go through, and again, this is a prologue, so John is kind of making us aware of things. He's preparing us for when we say, well, he's Jesus, he's God. Why do people act like that? Because people don't like him. Not everybody likes Jesus. Just like not everybody likes Rush. I'm not sure why, but not everybody's perfect. Right? Sorry. I'm getting the eye from my wife. <laughs> But it is good news for all those who believed and received him are now children of God. Right? Isn't that good news? Yeah. If you believe him, if you believe in him, if you understand who Jesus is, you are now a child of God. Simon, Peter, Andrew, John, James, Matthew, Luke, Paul, the woman at the well, Mary and Martha, Jairus. All these people are now in heaven in the great cloud of witnesses that is talked about in chapter 11 of Hebrews because they believe that Jesus is the Messiah and he is God. And the good thing is that becoming a child of God is the one, it's a one-time thing when Jesus was on earth. I am a child of God. If you are a believer and you have acknowledged that Jesus is your Savior and he is now the King and Lord of your life, you are also saved and you are also a child of God. You have been adopted by the Almighty Creator. If you've never had a father, if you, whatever it is, you know that he is now the Almighty, truthful Father, the one who shows so much grace and mercy and love that you are now in a family. Right? The church becomes your family. He is your Father. He is our Father. And so you are walking in the light 
And every day you can be comforted because you're being remade in his image. And then the things of this world become not so important. Because you know who your father in heaven is now. You know that you are saved. You are, you are free from God's wrath. No matter what you've done. And some people get upset because, well, how would this person do this? And he gets saved and I'm a good person. Well, he believed in Jesus Christ and he is now the Lord of his life. He changed his ways or she changed her ways. So it doesn't matter how good you are because you're, you're good by the, by the world's standards and not God's standards. And so verse 14, we jumped down to that, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's an expansion of verse 10, essentially, but John throws a few key words in there to move the reader or the hearer from the book of Genesis in the first five verses of his book here, right? When he says, in the beginning was the word, so that brings people to Genesis. Then all of a sudden, he says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So that word dwelt and some, some of your versions in the Bibles may have it. It says he tabernacled among us. So where's the tabernacle at? The book of Exodus. When they, the Israelites set up, the, they built the tent. They, they built everything for it. They, every day they packed it up and they moved it somewhere else. And they set it up again. And that was the temporary temple. That was God's presence every time he was with, when he was with them, he lived, he resided in that tabernacle. He was, he was dwelling with them in the book of Exodus. So now we have here that there's no need to set up a building every time because Jesus is already here. He's walking around. He set up his tent here. The word becomes flesh. He is now fully human while retaining his full deity, his full godness. And so God moves from speaking to us through prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Moses, and then John the Baptist to actually being with us, right? Emmanuel, God is with us. And so Jesus coming to earth, he is the living revelation of God. He came to fulfill the law and demonstrate the Father's grace. And so even though that seems odd to us that that grace is completely represented on the cross, because the grace is for us, the wrath is for Jesus and so with Jesus' presence of being here, the people who lived here and they, could, they lived during this time, they were able to see and experience God's full glory here on earth. They witnessed people being healed. They saw all these things happening. The people who witnessed his return, his ascension into heaven, they saw the glorified Jesus. So again, Seeing Jesus, seeing God's full glory, it seems to point us back to Exodus 33 where Moses was on a mountain and he, he, he demanded that God show him who he was. Like, I want to see you. So God said, sure. But he, and he passed in front of Moses, but he said, look, you can't see me. You can't actually see my face, so I'm going to show you my back. And, and Moses kind of hid in this cleft of a rock, right? He was in the rock and God went by however which way ever he went because nobody could actually withstand the full glory of God. And so Moses returned from the mountain with the law but Jesus came from the mountain, the heavenly mountain. He comes down with grace and the ability to fulfill the law. And so again we have these links, these Old Testament links 
But here's our application for this that, that John, I think, really wants us to, to understand is that we must always keep Jesus in front of us. We must always keep Jesus in front of us. We need to live as Christ-centered as possible. Right? And this is an imperative. This is an imperative because we say we are Christians. But unfortunately, what does the media do every time a Christian falls out of grace with God or what they think is, when they mess up, it's all over the news. You know, there's, if you read stories, sometimes it's kind of awkwardly put in there. You know, so-and-so, a pastor, did such-and-such. Any other crime that's committed, usually it doesn't say what his job is. So-and-so shot so-and-so. I don't care what he does, but so-and-so pastor of Red Oaks Baptist Church shot somebody. Oh, he's a pastor. Oh, right. There's an extra level of, of, uh, of difficulty for us to attain in, in the world, in a sense, because people are looking at us and holding us up. On, this, on, the, on their false pedestal in a sense. But at the same time, we say we are Christians. We are acting on behalf of God. So we need to actually be much cleaner, we'll say, I guess, in a, is, is a, is a, in a sense, than everybody else. So we need to live as Christ-centered as possible. We need to, and here's how we do that. We focus on God and not the world. We focus on God and not the world. So why, why do we focus on God? Because the Father, as John tells us, is full of grace and truth. His very character, his very being is graceful and truthful. His, his very essence is something he can't lie, he can't, and we're going to read it here in a minute, but the world is definitely not that. The world is definitely not full of grace and truth. People will give you enough grace to make you owe them, they will tell you enough truth as long as it matches up with their truth because they've lost the, the idea of objective truth. So whatever my truth is doesn't have to let mesh, line up with your truth, and that's okay, right? Because that's the way, that's the, way the world has been going. But here, is what, here are the characteristics of God. And again, this comes from Exodus verse 34, verses 6 through 9. And this is right after um, Moses or God passes in front of Moses it says, the Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. But he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the consequences of the father's iniquity on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. And what is Moses' reaction to this once he sees this almighty, perfect being Moses in verse 8, Moses immediately knelt low on the ground and worshiped. And he said, My Lord, if I have indeed found favor with you, my Lord, please go with us, even though we are a stiff necked people. Forgive our iniquity and our sin and accept us as your own possession. So, verses 6 and 7, the Lord is compassionate and gracious. He's slow to anger. Right, you read the Old Testament, it's, it's a few thousand years long if you really get the timelines down. He didn't just completely destroy the Israelites. He kept them, he kept their covenant the whole way through, all the way to, Je and to this time, really, but to Jesus' time on the cross. He maintained faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. He did that on the cross. 
That's the final covenant. The new covenant that we have in Jesus' blood is made. And this is a fulfillment because God is acting completely within his character to do these things. But he will not leave you unpunished because if you don't accept Jesus Christ, if you do not understand what is being told to you when you see the light, if you don't accept it, if you don't come into the light, then you will be punished. And that's just the way it is. Because he cannot stand, a perfect being cannot stand with sin. So that's why Jesus died. He made you perfect. He brought you over. He cleansed you with his blood over and moved you from one side of the aisle to the other, essentially. And so maybe some of us look at it and look at Moses' words and go, even though this is a stiff-necked people, right? And we kind of read it and go, man, what a bunch of dummies. How can you not realize that God is here for you? He's given you a million chances, and you guys just don't get it. I'm so glad I'm not like that. Right? But how many times do you go like, I'm a stiff-necked person. Oh, yeah, that's me. That's me too. Right? Because as we are, because we're stubborn, because we have free will, so we're like, you can't, you're not the boss of me. God, you created everything. But you're not the boss of me. I can do what I want. And God's like, you can. You're right. Just like we, if you have kids, you worked with kids or whatever, you get the little two-year-old or three-year-old, I'm, I'm here. I'm in charge of me. Go ahead. See how that works out. Right? And we do the same thing because the thing is, though, even though we are a stiff-necked people, stiff-necked individuals, persons, right? God chose us, each of us, and he has a plan. He had a plan to forgive us, his whole people. And so... We are linked to God because we were going against God, but yet he saves us. Before you took your first breath, your name was already in the book of life written in the Lamb's blood. Think about that. When I wrote that last night, it wasn't like my genius, whatever. That was one of those moments like, wow. I was saved before the foundations of the world were created. So in the space here of, of John 1 through 5, where really 2 and 3, where it says, he says, he was, in the, he was with God in the beginning in verse 2, John 1 verse 2, in verse 3, all things were created through him. Your names, our names, my name, was written in the book's Lamb, Lamb's Book of Life in between that period and the A. Right, the end of the sentence of he was with God in the beginning, period, space, your names, our names get scrawled into the book, and then all things were created through him. That's pretty heavy. You were saved before anything else happened. God's grace forgave you before you knew you needed it. God's truthfulness provided a way to fulfill God's law by paying for it by himself. There is no other criteria other than his good grace to get into heaven. And so... When, we are, when you are feeling like you have to earn God's grace, you can't, and you don't have to. Right? You don't have to do it. It's already, 
you already have it. That should be a huge weight off of everybody's shoulders right now that you don't have to be good enough. Right, because people say sometimes I hear them, oh, once I get cleaned up or once I get good enough, I'll go to church or I'll become a Christian. Right, you can assure them, you can point them to the light that if they feel the Holy Spirit prompting them, that they already made, they are already made good enough by Jesus' sacrifice. There's no time to wait. We don't wait to go to the hospital when we're better. Like, oh, I got this nagging pain. I'll wait for I'll before I'll, I'll wait till it goes away before I go ask to see what it is. You know, and sometimes that happens. You, know, you kind of wait long enough. You're like, well, you're almost better now, so just keep drinking orange juice. But when we're talking about our salvation, if you're saved, if you're one of God's children, you are already made whole. And we have to remember that because as a human, we like to get sucked into the world and think that you're not good enough because there's plenty of people who make you feel not good enough. You don't work hard enough. You did these things. You used to be whatever. And now, but now you're not. And you say, look, now I'm not. I don't keep doing that because I'm forgiven and I want to live my life according to God because I want to be Christ-focused. Because the lies the enemy tells you is that you are not good enough. And if you hear that, if you hear that talk in your brain, you tell them that you're already the best because you have been perfected and you're a child of God. Right? We don't have to hear that nonsense because he wants to throw us off our game. He wants to get us out of what we're doing and into what he wants us to do. And he doesn't have to work very hard, unfortunately, a lot of times because we'll, we'll self-sabotage with ourselves most of the time. So wrapping it up. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus and point others to him. That's it. We can be like John the Baptist if we witness to others. We always want to point people to Jesus. We want people to have the same joy that we have, the same relief that we have, the same you know, free from, freedom from some stress because we know that we don't have to keep working for this unattainable goal, and we hope that it's good enough. We hope we do enough. Because when Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, it was finished. There's nothing else to do. We just live our lives now. We live our lives for him. So don't let people be distracted by our actions, though, because we're not perfect. We are human, but we are forgiven, and we are perfected. Right? So as we go out this week, if you're dealing with these things, like you don't feel good enough, or you don't feel like you know, God loves you, or he does love you, and he, he loved you enough to send his only son to die for, his, for your sins that you committed. And he did this before you were even born, so this was already taken care of. So we can trust God because of his holy character that we read about in Exodus and it's echoed numerous times and then it's played out and it's exhibited in, in Jesus when he comes here on earth. Right? So we have one more song we're going to play. We're not gonna, we don't have to sing unless you want to sing. Totally fine. Um, but just let the music, since we don't have the band, 